question for you. Have you figured out what it takes to be happy? That's a, that's a pursuit I know that we're all in after, we're longing for. We even ask our kids when they're walking through Walmart and Christmas has just come and gone and they're now wanting that new G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip and, and yet they haven't played with the ones that are at home. And, you know, what is it going to take to make you happy? Have you ever asked your kids that? Raise your hand. All right, a few. Have you ever been asked that? Maybe you ever, ever asked yourself that. What's it going to take to make me happy? Well, it's great that the University of Illinois actually spent some money on this question, trying to figure out what it's going to take to make Americans happy. Dr. Uh, David, uh, Dr. Edward Diner, who became known as the Doctor of Happiness, wrote, uh, or actually uh, did this study, led this study through the University of Illinois. And as he did this, he asked the basic question, what was it going to take to make people happy in life? And he put out as many things as he could. He studied it from many different angles as he could. He studied looking at depression, looking at joy and euphoria, and looking at different things, and what would offset depression and so on and so forth. And he listed out and found out that really many things that we pursue after are not things that make us happy. He said basically once our human needs are met, the basic human needs of food, shelter, water, clothing, those basic human needs are met, that really adding money to the pot doesn't actually increase our happiness. It can actually increase our stress levels and therefore actually lead to depression. So it's not necessarily going to be money. Higher IQs, he found, does not give you a greater chance in the pursuit of happiness. Being eternally young through cosmetic attention and assistance will not guarantee you happiness or decrease your depression. He also found that vitamin D, increased doses of vitamin D from the sun, if you live in a warmer climate on the beach or something like that, does not necessarily increase your happiness or decrease your depression in life. He found this. He found that if you are older, you are more apt to be happy with life than if you are younger. So if you're younger today, it only gets better from here. That's one, one lesson you can take out of this, all right? So if you're unhappy today, then just it gets better. Kids graduate, kids move on. That may be a part of it. I don't know. But things happen, change in life, and, 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 and things can get happier in time. But what they really found out in the midst of all of that study that they did is there was one phrase that, 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 that showed the highest levels of satisfaction in life and the lowest levels of depression was if this was a part of your life, significant social ties to friends and to family. If there were significant social ties to friends and family, those were the happiest people in the study. I don't know about you, but I don't know where you are in your social ties with families and friends. But it's one of those things that we talk, as we talk about community this month, I want us to really hone in on. I want us to really embrace and understand the value of relationships. I've said it for the past two weeks, so I might as well say it again this week. If you remember back in the very beginning of mankind, when God created this perfect world and put man, perfect man into this perfect world, he even looked at perfect man and he says, it's not good for you to be alone. See, God made us, He created us, He somehow put into our, into our soul, body, life experience that we are social people in need of relationships. Relationships are an important part. Even in our high-tech world that we live in, in this high-tech world, we have become more distant. We, we, we talk less and we communicate by email more. And, and so, we, therefore, we, we, there's, a, there's a disconnect. But even in the midst of this disconnect, entrepreneurs will find out ways to reconnect us 
eHarmony, Facebook. We long, no matter even in this high tech, we still desire a high touch. We still desire those relationships. And many times people are saying, and, and, and the numbers are astounding, the growth on Facebook alone, let alone MySpace or the other social networks, of the, the people who are reconnecting with old friends. Again, because we are social people built for relationships. Another study that was done at the University of Minnesota by Eric Klanger, he actually took beepers and he put them on a number of people in this study and he asked them that when the beeper sounded, to write down what they were thinking about at that moment. And the number one thing that they were thinking about at that moment were interpersonal relationships. It rose to the top higher than anything else. Forty percent were daydreaming about how they relate in interpersonal relationships. That was the theme, the number one item. We're thinking about it. We're dreaming about it. We're on the computer about it. We were created for these relationships. I can't say this again enough, but we were created for community. And it's the thing that will bring us the greatest satisfaction and decrease in our lives the depression that can so easily come on a rainy day or a sunny day. Take your Bibles and be finding an Old Testament book, back in the Old Testament, the book of Ecclesiastes. It's Paul's last writings, if you will. We know that he wrote Proverbs. We know that he wrote Song of Solomon. But tucked in between those two, you have the book of Ecclesiastes. It's at the end of his life. He's kind of doing a whole lot of reflection on values. Song of Solomon is a love letter to his first wife, a beautiful love letter. So erotic at times that the Jewish boys, until they had gone through the bar mitzvah, were not allowed to read the Song of Solomon. That's how detailed and erotic it is. And so and then you go to the book of Proverbs and you see this library of wisdom, sometimes paragraphs, sometimes just a phrase there. And you find that maybe the middle of his life as he's, as he's grown in life. And that was his prayer from God is that he would have wisdom. And he begins to write that out in the book of Proverbs. But in the midst of that life's journey, he acquires so much wealth and so much fame and so much prosperity. You kind of come to the book of Ecclesiastes and you almost read this manic, depressant, alter ego kind of thing going on as, as Solomon is kind of disgusted with life. He's achieved so much, been so successful, had so much accomplishment in his life, and yet he sat there and he writes and he says, it's all vain. It's all empty. It's all futile. It doesn't really have any lasting power. But then in the midst of that, in the chapter 4 is where we'll be today, we come to probably the most, the most linear statement, the most linear argument that, 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 that Solomon gives, and it's about community. It's about relationships. As he talks about the value of them. And again, I know we are independent people, strong and independent on ourselves. We're taught to be that way. But sometimes we, we don't grow to the level where we learn the value of interdependence. That interdependence is when I think you actually achieve a maturity to a whole new level and you can actually truly move forward in life. But he tells us in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9, in the very first phrase, he says, two are better than one. Two are better than one. Let me say this to you. That a connected community is what every one of us needs. We need to be connected. We need each other. I need you. You need me. We need each other. 
There needs to be this interplay of relationship that goes on. I don't care how strong you are, how high up the ladder you have climbed, how big your dreams are, how independent and, and strong you are in and of yourself. We need a connected community. Two is always better than one. But let me also say this to you. And this is just a life principle. you just got to know this, and this is a warning to you, that proximity does not guarantee intimacy. That you might be around and with a lot of people. And you might rub shoulders with a lot of people. And you, have a, you, you do sports and you do life with a lot of different people. But just because you are in proximity to them, geographically, maybe you work in a cubicle that's just a few feet or inches away from someone else. Maybe you have this tremendous body life group and you're a part of that group. Your name is on the roll. But just because your name is on the roll, proximity does not guarantee intimacy. It takes great intentionality. You'll hear that word a lot in this message. Great intentionality on your part if there's true intimacy going to be in any relationship. You might sleep next to somebody for 25, 30, 50 years. Be in proximity to them, but not be intimate with them in a body, soul, spirit level. Great intentionality must be go into it. Now, there's all kinds of relationships out there. You can talk about family, talk about coworkers, you can talk about teams, sports, hobbies, things like that, affinities that we have. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. There's all kinds of relationships out there, but I want to kind of, if you will, just kind of move those aside, scoot those aside, and I want to insert another community to think about. And it's more of a spiritual community. We call it a church. Before you just kind of mark that off of your mind, I want to show you some values that I see inside of that today. And let that be the application that we lay over this passage of Scripture. As you think about your own communities, you think about your own connectedness. And from what, 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 Paul does, excuse me, what Solomon does here is he said in verse 9, he says, two are better than one, and then he gives us the why. He says, because. So if you take your Bible and you don't mind writing in your Bible, just circle the word because. Because everything he says after that is the why four, we two are better than one, or three are better than two, or four are better than three. And how community can really grow us and make us stronger. Four reasons. One is it impels your progress. It impels your progress. Impel means to drive forward. The number one law in teamwork, according to John Maxwell, is the law of significance. And he defines it as one is too small a number to achieve greatness. I think at some point in Solomon's life, he began to understand the value of relationships. We don't know who is his, his tight relationship, but there's, there's little doubt that whenever he grew up in the home of his father David, that David would speak often of a great friendship that he had with a man named Jonathan. He would have to have spoken well of that relationship because that is probably the best example of a best friend-soulmate relationship that anybody can have is between Jonathan and David. And so somehow in, in, in Solomon's development, he had learned through life that I need people around me. He understood the, the bottom line of life was I could go further with somebody than I can go alone. Understand that. 
Because that's exactly what Solomon says in verse 9. Again, if we can go back there. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. We all need people in our life who will call us up and call us out. We can go further and we can do more when we have people who will make us sharper and stronger through life. I was reading a study just this past weekend that if you go to the gym and you work out with somebody, you will work out harder and longer if you are working with somebody than if you are working alone. You will go farther physically in life if you are with other people. You look through life, Sheriff Wyatt Earp had Doc Holliday. You know, in life, you go through and you're more successful. Adrian Charles Lindbergh had the Ryan Aeronautical Company standing behind him. Long Ranger had Tonto, all right? Going through life alone, you can go further with people than when you go alone. Einstein, in developing the, the, the theory of relativity, said this. He said, many times a day I realize how much my own outer and inner life is built upon the labors of fellow men, both living and dead, and how earnestly I must exert myself in order to give in return as much as I've received. When we think of Einstein, we think of one individual scientific mind of great power, and he turns around and he says, no, 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 there were people before me, there were people with me, that's how I was able to achieve what I achieved. Solomon said there's a greater return. There's a greater profit, if you will, when we go together than when we go alone. You think about it from a biblical standpoint. When you look in the, in, in, in the history of Israel, when, when, when Joshua was down in the battlefield and he was fighting the Amalekites, you find that as Moses had his hands raised, there was victory. Now, I don't know what, how, when Moses figured this out, if he did this kind of thing, and every time he put his hands in his pocket, people were dying, and he put his hands up, they started living. And so if he did that a couple of times, and, and, and that made a, made a difference, but somehow he figured out with his hands raised that the people of Israel succeeded against the Amalekites. But all of a sudden, you walk around for a few hours or a day or two like this, you'll begin to feel that you cannot keep your arms up any longer. So even Moses, even Joshua needed Moses, but even Moses needed people. And Aaron and Ur came and held up the arms of Moses. Who is in your life holding up your arms? Who is in your life are you holding up your arms for? Who are you adding value to and who's adding value to you? Don't go it alone. Again, if I could quote one more time from Maxwell, he said, those closest to you will determine the level of your success. Good statement. Who's around you? Who are you surrounding yourself with that's impelling you forward, that's calling you up and calling you out whenever they see something in you that isn't right? They're not afraid to tell you without fear of intimidation. Think about it. Do you open yourself up for that? Because I will say this, as a man to a man, to the men in this room, we don't do this very well. We typically do everything we can to present ourselves as strong and able, not vulnerable and needy. The reality is we do need each other, which leads me to the second reason. It inspires our accountability. If you haven't realized this yet, you need to. 
you're going to fall on your face. We're all going to fall on our face. We're going to sometimes step over the line into stupidity. And if we aren't careful, that stupidity will take us down a very destructive path. And if you think for one skinny minute, it's not going to affect you. That you're strong and you've got it all figured out and you've got all the books of the Bible and all the verses of the Bible to help you give you the strength. And No, 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 forget it. There's one more verse that you failed to memorize. It's this one that says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. 1 Corinthians 10:12. The one who thinks he's going to stand will be the very next person to fall. Look what it says in verse 10. It says, For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone. For when he falls, he has not another to lift him up. Fall, fall, lift, lift. There's nobody there to help you when you go it alone. That accountability is an accountability relationship. It's, it's a loving, gracious relationship. But it's also one, again, that will call you when it's time to call you. Because we fall. Romans, 8:20, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short. Of the glory of God. Proverbs 45, verse 14, Proverbs 11, verse 28 says, The one who trusts in riches will fall. The Lord sustains all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. Are you part of a connected community? Are you connected to anybody that will lovingly, caringly put their arms around you and pick you up when you fall? Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 to 3, again, challenges us. I'm going to give you a lot of verses here. It says, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, and we do fall. Again, that's another communicating the fall. Caught in trespass. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he has something when he has nothing, he deceives himself. I don't know who to give credit for this quote, but I want to read it to you. The reason the mountain climbers are tied together to keep, is to keep the sane from going home. With a mountain of mercy behind and a mountain of mission ahead, I need you, my sister, my brother, I need you tied to me. We need each other to keep from bolting and fleeing and returning to the sanity of unbelief. We need each other. We need to be tied, tattered to one another in this relationship kind of thing called community. Are you connected? The reality is, Barna has done research and found that one in six men are really entered into a relationship with other people of a spiritual accountability. Most people don't do this. This is new. And again, for some of you, it's like, I don't need this. This is an irrelevant message. I've already checked out. You're the ones who probably need it more than anybody. Because the person who thinks they're standing better take heed lest they fall. It's time for us to wake up, and that's what I'm doing today. If all I can do is raise the shades on our life a little bit. I can't tell you what's going to happen tomorrow. I can't tell you how it's going to happen tomorrow. I can't even prevent what's going to happen tomorrow. 
But hopefully I can create a climate and we can create a culture where there's a community that you can be tethered to, that you can be tied to, that whenever you begin to slip, somebody's there to help you. When they begin to slip, you're there to help them. I want you to read this next verse with me. It's Proverbs 18.1. One who isolates himself. Now, stop right there. I want you to read that first line again. One who isolates himself. Again, one more time. One who isolates himself pursues selfish desires. He rebels. You set yourself up for failure when you go it alone. When you isolate yourself that I am invincible, I am indestructible, I can do this. I am strong. Look at where I am. Look at where I'm going. Look at the trajectory of my life. We need to realize it is that mentality alone that leads us down a path of failure. Accountability. Isolation leads to rebellion and ruin. Accountability brings grace and perseverance. If you ever wanted to know what it really looked like, and I know that the word accountability, Promise Keepers has been speaking of it for years, and for the longest time, I had a hard time putting my arms around it. But I think Lori Croft in her poem, I think best gives a picture of what accountability can look like in a mutual relationship. She said this in her poem. She says, I, I love you. Not only for what you are, but for what I am when I am with you. I love you not only for what you have made of yourself, but for what you are making of me. I love you for the part of me you bring out. I love you for putting your hand in my heaped up heart and passing over all the foolish and weak things that you can't help but dimly see in there. And drawing out into the light all the beautiful things no one else looks quite far enough to find. I love you because you are helping me make of the lumber of my life, not a tavern, but a temple. Out of the works of my everyday, not a reproach, but a song. That's what community connected looks like. That's what a relationship at a heart and spiritual level looks like. I need relationships. You need relationships. I need community. I need to be connected because it impels me forward. It also gives me accountability to help me to become and help them to become. But it also improves our survival skills, if you will. It improves our survival. In verse 11, In verse 11, he says it like this. He says, again, if two lie down, they keep warm. But how can one prevail? Excuse me. But how can one keep warm alone? You know, I I realize that in this world that sometimes there's nothing more we can do but to survive. We just try to make it. Try to make it through life. And I don't like that mode, though. I like the, to sound trite. I like thriving, not surviving. But there are going to be times in life that 
If I live in survival mode and I live it alone and I don't live in community and connection with other people, then I will truly make myself far more vulnerable in this world. And you think about two lying down together. The best thing I could do is tell you an example. And I've told you this story before, so bear with me if you've heard it. But whenever I first moved to Zambia, it was hot. It was in the summertime. It was in October, and it's the hot, hot as it can possibly be. And the rains had not come, and... And but then about six months after being there, it was uh, I had enough relationships now. It was my, kind of my first time I was ready to venture outside the home and kind of try my life living among among the Zambians. And uh, so my fir- one of my first days away from home was to go about two hours north of our home in Livingston to Colombo. And I stayed in, uh, in a pastor friend's home and it wasn't much. I mean. Most houses aren't much in Africa. I mean, it's maybe two rooms and concrete walls and a tin roof. And that was it. No electricity, no heating or anything. So I had my, I was afraid of malaria, so I had my mosquito net tent that I laid it out in their living room. And, and I crawled in there in my sleeping bag all alone and was ready to bed down for a long winter's nap, I guess. And then all of a sudden, right next to me, they rolled out their little their little cot on the floor and and. And two guys crawled into bed together. Now, you'd never see in American culture two hairy-legged men crawl into bed together, all right? Uh, Of the right mind, I should say. But these men crawl into bed together, and I'm thinking, I'm glad that's not my only option. I'm glad I'm alone. I'm glad I've got my tent. I'm glad I've got my sleeping bag. I'm glad there's only room for one. And uh, so anyway, about midway through the night, I did not realize how cold it could get in Africa in the night. And all of a sudden, I woke up absolutely freezing. I had to get dressed under the covers and put my little hoodie on and try to stay warm for the rest of the night. And I slept horribly. All along, these two men lying in bed together were completely warm and completely fine the next morning. And all the better. I say that as an example. When Solomon's writing, he didn't have central heat in there. All right. When Solomon's writing, he's living in a climate much like that of Zambia, a tropical climate where it can get very cold at night and get very hot in the day. He's writing about, you know what? There are times that if we're going to survive in this world, we better be next to one another, living life with one another. When, when two come together, they keep warm. When one is alone, he cannot keep warm. The fourth reason that we need to be connected in community is it increases our stability. It increases our stability. Verse 12 says it like this. He says, and, and though a man might prevail against one. Now notice the progression here. You can easily be beaten if you're standing alone. He says, but if two are standing together, they can withstand the opposition. But if you put three into the mix, they're like a rope woven together and they will not be quickly torn apart. So the more that we can bring into the community, the more that we can connect with one another, the greater chance of survival and sustainability and to be able to move forward in life. Again, if you think about from Scripture's point of view, all the way through Scripture, Moses had Aaron and Ur, Joshua had Caleb, Elijah had Elisha, John Mark had Barnabas, Timothy and Silas had Paul. The 70 that Jesus sent out, sent them out two by two. They had each other. Jesus himself had Peter, James, 
and John. Who do you have? Who are you pouring yourself into? Who are you tethered to? Who are you connected to that will call you up and call you out? Who are you a mutual with? But they don't have anything to gain from the relationship, and you're not seeking to gain anything from the relationship other than to be connected, other than to sharpen one another, other than to make one another stronger and better through life. Chinese proverb says it like this, Behind any able man are always other able men. I want to close by reading one quote that I love from Chuck Swindoll in his book called Finishing Touch. Nobody is a whole team. We need each other. We need someone, and someone needs you. Isolated islands were not. To make this thing called life work, you got to lean and support and relate and respond and give and take and confess and forgive and reach out and embrace and rely. Since none of us is a whole, independent, self-sufficient, super capable, all-powerful, hot shot, let's quit acting like we are. Life's lonely enough. Without our playing that silly role, the game is over. Let's link up. Great statement. Great statement. I've said we're on a journey for five months now. Starting the first of the year to May. Last month we dealt with worship and the value of worship to grow us deeper. This week we're dealing with community. This month we're dealing with community and the value of growing together. Last week we talked about growing together as couples and how that inner dynamic in the relationships work or don't work depending on how we handle it. This week I hope today I can just open the shades a little bit of your life and that, that, that you understand that we need each other. Let's quit playing the game alone and let's start playing it together so that we can go further, farther, so that we can, our success is dependent on it, our stamina is dependent on it, our survival is dependent on it, our stability is dependent upon it, on how well we connect with other people. We create climates. I said this in the last uh, uh, month. I said we create a climate of worship, an environment of worship. We create time and space so that you can bring your worship. That's all Grace Point can do. But let me tell you this. We also want to do the same thing with community. We want to create opportunities. And this is not a sales pitch. But this was strategically planned, that tonight we would kick off our North Point. We would finish up the series dealing with connecting ourselves with one another. And so we, I want to tell you about two opportunities that you have. One is to, co- pump, to become a part of a community, a connected community called Grace Point Church. It's not a sales pitch. It's a part of the process of being connected. That's, the, that's the, kind of the beginning point, if you will. It's where you can come in and be a part and learn and, and learn what family looks like. We require everybody of our church to go through this one class. If you're going to be a member, a part of the family of Grace Point Church, why do we do that? Some people have wondered that. We do that simply because there's so many different concepts and presuppositions of what church membership is. And we want to put on the platter tonight what that looks like. We want to put it on the, for the next two weeks, next two Sunday evenings, beginning tonight 
at, at 5 and then next week at 5. And just to make it more difficult, I'm actually calling for rain and thunderstorms tonight. So if you're really committed, you'll actually even swim here. Think, Mike, I might be interested in that. I'm not ready to commit to anything. I don't even know what it means. Somebody wrote me this past week said, I've never been a member of any church, but I'm coming because I want to learn what it means to be connected to this church beyond just coming and consuming. So if, you, if you're at that journey, at that juncture, and you're just ready to explore and go further to be connected to a community that might help you along these lines, then there's a little communication card in the seat pocket in front of you. Fill it out. Drop it in the offering basket. Or take it to Ticket Central. Let us know how many kids you are and all that kind of stuff. All right. How many kids you have and bringing all that. Then we'll make room for you. But here's another opportunity. Because some of you all have been members for a while. But you're not connected. Well, don't think on Sunday morning in one worship gathering once a month or once every three weeks, you're going to really get connected. You need a smaller community of believers to get into. And we call that body life group, where our body comes together, our bodies come together, and we are come together and we worship and we serve and we, and we care and we love and we do these things that a body's supposed to do to help one another through life. Body life groups. Today, David will be at the back, the body life group board. That You can just go back and say, I don't know what that means. I don't know what it takes. I don't know what it involves. And, and I definitely don't. You know what? It's community. It's these elements right here. We give each leader a few questions, a handful of questions to ask and discuss in each group meeting. They can use those. They can use their own. Whatever. It's just an opportunity, again, to come together as community and to be one. So the response is not today. We're not going to sing. We're not going to have all that. The response is for you now to respond. And how well are you connected in this community? Do you need to take another step in any of these two ways that I've mentioned? Or maybe you need to go further and say, Mike, I need somebody in my life who will speak into my life more consistently and more faithfully and help call me up and call me out. Let's talk. Let's let this be a time where you begin to become a part of this community in a real dynamic way. Let's pray together. Father, we come to a conclusion, not of a message that necessarily calls people to salvation, but yet, Lord, that's where it all begins, is a relationship with you. We begin to understand the true value of that forgiving, loving, gracious, redemptive, accountable relationship when we are in relationship with you. But, Father, it's to even go beyond that. And it's to call each and every one in this room to a relationship with one another. No longer being and acting as an island, but truly being friends and brothers and sisters and parts of a body of a family. And that, Father, you would truly connect us together, that we might succeed in life together, survive in, in life together, have the stamina and the stability in life that we need. Lord, may this community be down deep as we connect and we bond with one another. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this time. We even ask that now, Lord, you bless our offering. For your glory and your honor, in Jesus' name.